Well, today our work centers on the book of Acts, and uh, I would ask you to turn to that right away in your Bibles. Um, Where are we? Page 1652. Um, Before we go into the opening chapter, I'd like to just uh, pick up a few of the accents that are found here. And I'm going to warn you that today we will be doing a lot of plotting, but uh, be patient with that because in the plotting process, you may under you may uncover some diamonds that you would have totally missed if we had gone zipping along as we did sometimes yesterday when, you know, at a certain gospel, oh, we're going to cover that another gospel, we'll go on, da-da-da. We're not going to do that today because it's been my experience that, um, well, even I learned a few things by rereading this section today, and I've read it maybe 50 or 60 times at different times, or maybe more than, I don't know. But um, we always pick up something. And it may be those two or four or six things that we might pick up in this process that might make a difference between um, a 77 and an 83. So that kind of thing here. So uh, I, I just don't know where all of you are individually, but hopefully we'll hit all of you somewhere. And um, hopefully um, we'll get a good chunk of Acts on the way today so that on Monday we can finish it and do a little bit of review before the first exam. So on page, um, well... What is page 1651? Um, It's uh, really not questioned who the author is. There's always some people quibbling, but the uh, heavy weight of authority is on Luke, and he is already mentioned early in the second century. We have very few documents that are available from the second century. The Muratorian canon is, is mentioned here. That's one of the early listings of the books that were accepted as being inspired books. But... um, some things about Luke that we know. Number one, listed there near the bottom half of the page, is that he was with Paul a lot. And we have the we sections in Acts, beginning with chapter 16, verse 10. When we get to that, which we probably will today, we will point out how suddenly the narrative changes from third person to first person. We, we sailed on over to, um, to Macedonia. So he's a companion of Paul, and he has several sections in the latter half of Acts where he he lists his participation in the events of Paul's journeys in life. Uh, Likewise, Paul writes about him and mentions him specifically in the letters to Philemon and Colossians. And in Colossians, we have that information that he was the, quote, beloved physician and um, also uh, not among the circumcised, in other words, a Gentile. Number two, yes, a physician. Um, Some have seen, especially in the Gospel of Luke, certain delicate little touches that perhaps a physician would include and a non-physician would not. And it's easier to talk about the Gospel that way because there's three other Gospels that you can compare with. Now, certainly in the book of Acts, also there are some uh, very interesting physical details. And uh, I can only say that I wonder how long Paul would have lived without Luke. All the times he got beaten up and left for dead and shipwrecked and stuff like that. He talks about it in his second letter to the Corinthians in some detail. But how could any man survive all of that and not die prematurely until an emperor decides it's time to cut him off, which happened when he was well in his senior years in his 60s. 
And um, I guess those are some of the key things we know about him. Now, we don't know when the book was written, whether it was written before or after the destruction of Jerusalem. Some have suggested that <laughs> it may have been written when he was imprisoned in Rome the first time because that's where the book ends. I quite agree with Rob, Robert Harbour, who writes these notes here, that that's not a convincing argument. Um, when he stops at Rome, he has come to the culmination point of his objective in writing the work, you know, bringing the good news from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Here he is at the imperial capital. Acts 28 closes the last few verses suggesting that finally, after all these years of being harassed and sent from city to city by persecution, he is a free man. And it takes a Roman imprisonment to give him the freedom to receive people freely over you know, long periods of time without any danger of being moved on. And I guess it's a shorthand way of saying the gospel has free course, finally, and nobody is interrupting it. So uh, we have every indication to believe since his later epistles like the pastorals apparently are after he is freed from that first uh, imprisonment in Rome that, that he indeed was freed. He was vindicated. He was allowed to go back and do more mission work. And uh, then, of course, uh, Timothy and Titus letters give us some insight into that. So we, we don't know when it was written. And uh, he did achieve his objective when he was in Rome. That was the purpose of the history to show how the gospel goes, quote, to the ends of the earth, um, reaching even the Gentile capital and on the way some smaller capitals as well. Uh, theme and purpose, middle of the page. Reference Acts 1, verse 8. That's one I think we need to pay careful attention to because it is the commission that the disciples receive from Jesus, according to Luke, that they are to um, be his witnesses, uh, beginning in Jerusalem but continuing to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And those of you who have been keeping up with the um, um, news releases of our church body know that, of course, we're in a, in a movement today called the Ablaze Movement, which builds upon this commission here to go, you know, at home, Jerusalem, further out um, geographically, and ultimately to the ends of the earth, to foreign mission fields. This kind of thing uh, is the way Luke's uh, imperative is set forth in 1 verse 8, and um, that is another uh, statement of the Great Commission. Of course, the most famous one probably is the Matthew uh, 28, verse 19 and 20, which everybody calls the Great Commission, but this is likewise um, a parallel kind of a commissioning, and it's found there in 1 verse 8. Now, <clears throat> excuse me, before class, one of my brilliant students came to me, and there's quite a few brilliant students in this room, so I'm not going to identify a single one because there might be any one of you, right? Um, and he, he said, just, just so much repetition here. Uh, is there a reason for this? And, of course, this is also mentioned here uh, in the, um, oh, let's say about the third or fourth last paragraph. It says repetition is Luke's means of emphasizing events, um, emphasizing them. And, of course, some of the primary things that are emphatic for him. <clears throat> really two things. Number one <clears throat> would be the Cornelius event, 
which is told in chapter 10. It's repeated in chapter 11 in Jerusalem, and it's referenced again in chapter 15 at the Apostolic Council, once again by Peter. So three times it's told. The second one that's told three times is the conversion of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, chapter 9. We have it for the first time. It really happens as he's on the road. He repeats it in chapter 22 as he makes his defense in Jerusalem. He makes a <clears throat> defense for his life, as it were, and um, a successful defense, which is later repeated in front of King Agrippa in Acts 26. So three times over, uh, we have the reiteration of the story of Saul's conversion and call to go to the Gentiles. You see, those two things really come together at this point, don't they? The Cornelius story has to do about outreach to the Gentiles, and Saul, Paul's call is to go to the nations, to the Gentiles. And um, that then is, of course, a continuation of the gospel where Jesus saturated um, the land to a point at least, those who would hear him, they came from all parts of the land. But now, um, after his ascension, his disciples have the commission to go into all the world, and they do. And uh, so in these two events, which are thrice told, you, you do have that focus on outreach, uh, and especially to the Gentiles, but certainly not neglecting the Jews either. That's always a starting point. Now, <clears throat> what are the main purposes of the book? At the bottom of page 1652, there is a suggestion that these might be considered. And uh, <clears throat> as I look over the list, <clears throat> excuse me, in my own um, many years of working through Acts, and I did uh, all of my um, dissertations that I did here at the seminary, somehow <laughs> related to the book of Acts, um, I, I believe it's number four, that to depict the triumph of Christianity and in the face of persecution, it seems like no matter where the word was taken, the messengers were persecuted and were driven on. That was the way in which they were driven on to bring the, the message to all the world. But sub-themes, and very important, are those that are listed on the previous page, uh, certainly to present a history of how the good news came to various parts of the world. That's kind of a byproduct of that commission that's indicated in number four. And uh, related to that also is number two, the matter of giving a defense. And um, why, for example, does Luke go to pains to show that whenever Paul is accused of something, the charges don't stand? And it's simply this, that uh, there is nothing illegal about the gospel, and uh, any time the opponents make a charge against the messengers of the gospel, um, it is voided as being of no um, standing. And perhaps the most uh, dramatic case is when they appear in Corinth uh, before the proconsul who had just recently arrived, and uh, he wouldn't even hear the Jewish charges because it has nothing to do with legal matters. It's just a religious squabble between the Jews on the one hand as they attack the, the Christian messengers on the other hand. Well then, on 1653, <laughs> characteristics. Uh, this is pretty much of the universal statement that there is amazing historical detail. Let me just amplify what's said here by one little vignette. There was an um, English historian, Paul Ramsey, 
many years ago who set out to disprove the Christian message by making a journey to the Bible lands. He spent a lot of time in Turkey, and he traced the things in the book of Acts, and he became a convert as a result of the utter historicity of the titles and the cities and the details that he found in his researches on the basis of the book of Acts as he did, you know, went around the countryside. And he, he writes about this, St. Paul the Traveler and Roman Citizen is one of his works. I forget what the other one is. That's one of his major works. But Paul Ramsey, um, the accurate historical detail that Luke gives, um, it simply is, is amazing. And it... it doesn't really necessarily add directly to the gospel message, but indirectly it does. If he is that accurate in his recounting of physical details and political details, uh, we know of his uh, research methodology and uh, also of his um, penchant for truth that his prologue is utterly accurate, that he, he sets out to give you a, a, an excellent uh, account for you, dear Theophilus, you know, for... Uh, whoever is going to read this, and particularly for Theophilus, who probably would promote the work. Literary excellence, yes. Uh, um, scholars generally agree that uh, Luke probably had as good a command as anybody of um, the Greek language in his writing. He is a very excellent writer and, uh, and also a very gifted writer in his use of pictures and in his use of parallel accounts. And if we have time, we can go into some of that, but chances are we don't have a lot of time in this course to do that sort of thing, although that's the kind of thing that I spent about a year doing once upon a time, and uh, it's great fun. Um, Luke is just so exciting. Dramatic ex uh, description. This, Yes, this comes in a degree in the speeches of Luke. Uh, oftentimes when we read a historical narrative and we see a speech, okay, on to the next page, it's just a speech, no, that's a mistake, because in the speeches of Luke-Acts, um, especially in the speeches of Acts now, since we're in that book, we, we get the high theology of the book. And the main point that recurs again and again in the speeches of Peter and Paul consistently there is his proclamation of the resurrection, and it's that for which Paul is on trial when he's on trial later. He, he puts it out there on the table. It's because of the resurrection that I'm on trial and he makes uh, some good points on that in a variety of ways. So, uh, dramatic, yes. Objective account, yes. Differences are recognized and divisions as well. Then you have the plan. And uh, I, I basically, I like to keep stuff simple. There's a lot of ways you can diagram something. And they have good diagrams in there. But... Uh, Simplicity tells me that the first seven chapters deal with what's happening at Jerusalem. Eight to twelve tells me what happens in Judea and Samaria. And 13 to 28 is the focus on to all the world. We'll just say Gentile lands. and people. So beyond the land of Israel. And that's about as simple an outline. And I think it's also very consistent with what we have in Acts 1, verse 8, where it talks about the outreach as being in steps.